What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 209 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to share your supports. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collections inspired by Star Wars. We got t-shirts, crewneck hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the season two finale of the Marvel Studios original series, Loki. We'll discuss all of the key moments and events that occurred, as well as how the Loki series compares to the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with some quick updates and reactions to some recent news regarding upcoming MCU projects. So it's now officially over. The longest actor strike in Hollywood history wow. has come to an end after 118 days. It is uh it's a great time. Definitely want to send a congrats to all of the members of SAG after for standing strong, holding true to getting everything that they felt like that they deserved and needed. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a bigger conversation about that, but because the strike has been going on for such a long time, and I think it's it's definitely impacted already things that are on the horizon, but especially looking into the next year. We uh, we got some updates about some shifting release dates regarding MCU projects. And uh, right now, Deadpool 3 is going to be the only MCU movie coming out in 2024. Everything else has received a pretty significant pushback. So Captain America Brave New World is moving from July of 2024 to February 14th of 2025. Fantastic Four is now also dated from May 2nd of 2025 thunderbolts has moved from december of 2024 to july 25th of 2025 and blade has also received a new release date of november 7th 2025 which is pretty ironic because it was supposed to come out right about now and and it's receiving almost a two-year delay after all of the shifting release dates and uh we saw the marvels last night we're going to review that movie uh next week but um we had talked about the fact that it's going to be a pretty light year for the mcu next year Mm -hmm. um which may be a good thing considering all the stuff that's happening around the mcu but it also looks like that some of these shifts are very much due to just the impact of the strikes There, there was some news that came out as well stating that there's going to be some extensive reshoots on Captain America 4. It looks like it's going to be multiple months of reshoots heading into 2024 to get that movie in a bit of better shape. I I think the test screenings, initial test screenings did not go in the way that they planned to. So how do you feel about just the outlook of all of this? The fact that like next year, outside of Deadpool, outside of Echo at this point, which is going to drop at the beginning of the year, and we're going to talk about that trailer in a second, like it's looking Mm -hmm. to be a very light year for MCU media and projects that we're going to get, especially compared to recent years. You know, we've been talking at lengths recently, I think, about the the overpouring and the over, you know, pro- producing that Marvel has been doing man. And in, in, in that, I think, way of of approaching their projects has been uh, uh, watering down the quality of a lot of them. Um, and I think, you know, having 
taking time to say, look, let's push a lot of these projects back. Let's reevaluate. Let's kind of figure out. Let's make sure this ship is being ran correctly. I think they're taking a lot of the criticism that, again, not only we've been talking about on this podcast, but a lot of people have been voicing concerns over over uh, uh, a, a decent period of time. You know, we've heard so many Vanity Fair articles have come out and VFX teams have been going on strike and there's just been a lot around uh, uh, overproduction on a lot of things and uh, too much work and not enough time kind of things. And I think this is uh, allowing Marvel to, 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 to have some time, again, to, to think about a lot of it, man. So I'm okay with it. I think... I think a lot of us, you know, another conversation we've had at length, of course, is superhero fatigue, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, maybe maybe having time off <laughs> in general of, of most superhero things, only having two projects, like you said, one coming out at the beginning of the year with Echo and kind of Deadpool being in the middle of the year could be refreshing for a lot of us when they decide to to, to come back out with a lot of the heavy hitters, um, starting with Captain America in 2025. So uh, I like this idea. Um, I think it'll be fine for us to just chill out for a while on a lot of uh, uh, MCU content and kind of breathe. Um, so I'm okay with it, and I think it's a good idea. Yeah, th th this is also one of those situations where I think uh, people had been calling for some sort of break, some sort of period off, and it's like, well, be careful what you wish for because you might actually get it, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think uh, we'll, we'll see how 2024 plays out, but... I think after the year that 2023 has been, not just for Marvel, which this this might be the worst year that they've had, but also you look at DC, you look at other franchises that have really squandered and, and have performed far below expectations. I mean, in general, I think a lot of stuff needs to be reevaluated re from a from an IP standpoint, from a big, big blockbuster standpoint, Marvel obviously being one of the most um one of the most, uh, I, I think, signifying sort of uh, sort of leaders in that in that particular space. Like this year was kind of disastrous across the board for so many different franchises. Where it's like, what are we doing? Why are these budgets so ridiculous? Why are people being overworked to a degree that is that is requiring these unionizations and these strikes to take effect? Like all of that stuff is really, I think, just snapped into focus this year mm -hmm. that the conditions in Hollywood are not sustainable and things need to change. And, and this is a, a reflection of that. And obviously the MCU being the largest purveyor of visual effects and being one of the the most prolific producers in terms of out, actual output, th this, is, this is kind of reflective of just a need to to really reevaluate and slow down i think and um you know with with certain projects not being in the best shape like a captain america well they understand that that's another important project so they need to get it in a better place but also fantastic four blade thunderbolts like none of these things have even filmed they haven't even started filming yet at least mm -hmm. captain america started filming and so they're doing pickups but these other projects really still have to start and, and really get in motion and so you just look at the next few months and the next couple of years, it's like, well, we're, we're kind of looking at maybe a wasteland of like, there's not going to be that much. And then DC is just restarting after Aquaman. That's it. So uh, it'll be an interesting 2024. I think studios might be very concerned and very worried because of the lack of huge IP and blockbusters that, that won't really be present next year. But it might just be an opportunity really, again, to get these things in the best shape possible. At least Deadpool 3 is the one, at least as of now. That will come out because I think a lot of people are very excited for that one. And I think uh, we, we, we kind of want to see that one before these other ones because that could be a really, really huge project. So if that is the one and only and if it's great, then then that's that's a better that's a better result than getting 
five or six things that are all mediocre or not meeting expectations. And so um, this this might be a real blessing in disguise for Marvel, I think. Um, but we also found out that Blade, speaking of that movie and, and a lot of the conversation around it, it's officially confirmed to be rated R, which is, uh, I think, something we have suspected and wanted and hoped for. And, and you know, look, a rating doesn't determine the quality of a movie. Right. There, there are great movies in every single rating category possible, right? And so this could have been a PG-13 movie, and that doesn't mean that it could not have been great. But if we're being honest about it, I think a lot of us desire to see something a little bit darker, a little bit more gritty, mature, potentially gory, bloody, violent. I think a lot of us wanted those things just due to how the character is represented in the comics and, and, and wanting a, a change of pace and a change of tones for, for Marvel and, and the types of projects that they make. But um, the director, Jan Demange, he, uh, he talked about his, his ability to, to secure that R rating and how important it was. He has a, a quick quote that he gave uh, to Deadline, I believe. I'll read it quickly. He says, quote, I come out of this wanting to be more open, more vulnerable, and bring more of a personal aspect to my work. But for Blade, we are going to have fun because Mahershala is such a deep actor. I'm excited to show a kind of ruthlessness, a roughness he has that allows him to walk the earth in a particular way. I love him for that. He's got a dignity and an integrity, but there is a ferocity there that he usually keeps under the surface. I want to unleash that and put it on screen, end quote. So how do you feel about this? Just, you know, everything considering Blade, all the stuff that we've heard, the rumors, you know, some of the stuff that, that, that sort of signals to maybe a troubled production, Mahershala potentially walking away at some point. This is kind of a sign of good news, and it may be a bit of quality control uh, on the part of Marvel, uh, you know, putting Jan out there to, to speak directly to the project after that, that Variety article came out la last week. But how do you feel about this decision to tr truly, you know, lean into it being an R-rated movie and also just kind of being the only only the second project, I think, after Deadpool 3 that will receive that rating from an MCU project. I mean, uh, you know, I can only give Marvel, I think, so many points for being like, duh, this movie should be rated R. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I do like measures of good faith, um, especially, again, with a project like Blade with such a big actor like Mahershala Ali. And, and, and I actually do really like this quote um, only because it does speak to you know what this movie i think can bring to to marvel i think the he uses the word ferocity which i think is important it's like yes that is a perfect word to me to explain the kind of blade film that we need to see that is rated r i actually love the word ferocity here and he also talks about how he how mahershala ali usually keeps that under the surface i absolutely love that too i think as a director he's looking to bring something else out of Mahershala that we haven't seen before, right? We, we've seen a lot of Mahershala projects, but there's always, no matter what it is, except for maybe like, maybe like Luke Cage, <laughs> there's always like a softness to Mahershala Ali and a lot of these things. And Blade doesn't necessarily have that up front, right? That's not a thing that Blade is like, oh, wow, what a soft character. And so I'm excited that that, that, uh, that Jan Demond just tapping into that and uh yeah man Jan Demange I think he has some credits on what like Top Boy and maybe some Lovecraft Country stuff right which I think he's he's used to directing some of some more you know those darker uh some of those darker tone in in theme so I, I again I really like this quote for him but man this is like duh I hope it's rated R I'm happy it's rated R it is still good to hear that it's rated R but again as a as a uh, 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 a statement of good faith and good measure i'm not mad at it um uh again hopefully this is a look of like look y'all everything else put in the past we don't know what the hell was going on with all these other writers and directors but look me and mahershala are working that's what i hear from this from this quote is me and mahershala are working and things are moving forward don't worry blade is rated r 
Yeah, it's not it's not the most shocking thing in the world. I, I think we suspected that they would lean in this in this direction. Once we found out Deadpool was going to maintain its R rating and that status, which has you know been the case for the previous two movies, we saw that there was a willingness on the part of Disney and Marvel to to develop media and and properties around more mature ratings they're they're not afraid of that you know we, we we even even when they brought over all of the defender series from netflix and put those on disney plus it's like oh wow okay now we can actually use those tvma settings on disney plus like there we go you know and so um this this being the choice for blade is a i think a good one at least in terms of what we can expect out of the tone it, again it doesn't equate to a great movie it does not i think that it uh, it only signals to the potential to do something that feels different than everything else which i think is important to maintain for Blade because Blade is such a such a different type of character than all of the other Marvel heroes where you, you want to see some stuff be be a little bit more violent I think you you want to see them not be hindered by a rating system and, and and be able to utilize blood when we're talking about vampires like that's a that's a pretty important aspect for for that type of mythology and that type of fantasy and so um, I think it's a good thing and I think uh, ultimately Again, regardless of the other reports about the, the development of Blade, it feels that Jan and, and Mahershala are still very much committed to this and they want to get it right and they want to put it in the best place possible for us to see it. And so most of the signs here so far point to that to that being the case. I think, uh, you know, it's really going to come down to just really the execution of it. If that R rating actually makes a difference or not, which I hope I, I certainly hope it will. Um, but speaking of R rating, more mature ratings, um, we, we got a trailer for Echo, which we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. It debuted last Friday, really um, kind of at the end of the business day. It was a little bit of a, of, a, of a weird release, but Echo has been this long gestating project as well. A lot's been talked about it. A lot's been discussed, um, especially in the way of doubt, I think, that's been casted upon it just due to the fact of the release strategy, the fact that it's going to be available with all episodes premiering at the same time. Marvel has never done that before. There's been a lot of chatter and conversation about the production of the show, reshoots, things that have not necessarily come to fruition maybe in the in the best way. I think there's just been a lot out there that, that's cast a lot of doubt in terms of whether or not this is going to be a good project. Well, then the trailer comes out, and it's a it's a it's a shocking trailer. Unlike anything else that we've seen out of Marvel, it's super dark, it's super gritty. It feels very much like I think what we hope to see out of a Daredevil show or Deadpool or a Blade, like something that's just tonally very different from all other Marvel and MCU projects. You know, how did you feel about this trailer? How do you feel about this being the first TVMA show that we're gonna get, and also just kind of the release strategy as well? They're dropping this on Disney Plus and Hulu at the same time. Again, another new move that they never utilized before. So overall, what's your overall sort of outlook on Echo now that we've actually got some footage for it? It's, it's, Echo is a very interesting experiment because there is a a, a a big a big I think number of us who are still like after after watching um, you know Hawkeye is like why do we and should we really care about this character right what is going to buy us into Echo, and there's there was nothing, not too much really into um, um, again Hawkeye that was like, oh Echo, oh I can't wait till she gets her own series. There wasn't a lot of that, and so you know, it, it, hearing about the show, a lot of us I think just kind of have been shrugging off like, oh Echo's coming out, I guess, you know what I'm saying? But I think this trailer is doing something interesting to at least perk up the ears, you know, of at least a lot of people. They're like, oh. Maybe we should, you know, maybe, you know, be interested in Echo at least a little bit. And one of those things, absolutely and for sure, is this TVMA rating. Um, not only that, but the, the the trailer, when you watch it, there's some stuff in it. It almost feels Red Bandy 
You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, man, I, d- I didn't expect to see some of the blood and, and death <laughs> that is happening in this trailer. And it definitely catches uh, uh, your eye. And so, man, Echo, again, it feels like an experiment. But I think this this trailer at least does a good job of, you know, uh, maybe getting the attention, at least of me. It got my attention a little bit more than it did of being like, huh, maybe this is something I do want to watch um, in, in this. You know, we've been talking about Marvel stepping in the right direction or when they're going to step in the direction for TV and make content. We know Deadpool's coming. We know Daredevil's coming. We just talked about Blade a second ago. But you're telling me Echo was low-key about to be first <laughs> out of all of those projects and i think i think this is their their real test um to for us to to buy into the idea of what tvma uh, uh marvel could look like now what i am afraid of is that they put all their eggs in a basket and if this doesn't go well i'm afraid for everything else like oh is this really like you know i don't want to question in the middle of the show is this tvma i don't want to question is this the Wilson Fisk <laughs> that existed in the Netflix series? I don't want to question a lot of these tonal things. I just want it to be and kind of feel natural to whatever is happening in the show. I don't want anything to feel forced. And so, um, man, I, 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 where, where I land with Echo right now, I feel better about it than I did before, but I'm still not completely sold. It really is like the TV show has to come out kind of thing, and it has to perform. I feel like they put a, almost a little bit more weight on the shoulders, kind of surrounding Echo with these things, putting Wilson Fisk in the in the trailer, putting Deadpool or not Deadpool, but Daredevil in the trailer, making it TVA. I feel like it adds more weight to what Echo is and supposed to be. So again, it's it's hard to to look at Echo and be like, I'm excited for that, but also it also has the potential to potentially subvert some expectations. So I think there's there's some scary stuff there, but also potentially some good stuff with Echo as well. It, it's a it's a really really good trailer too. Like I gotta give it them credit for trailer. crafting a really really good trailer, and uh, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, especially, and and I don't know this, you know, but if if it's not a good show to craft a good trailer out of something that isn't great is is a is a challenge, you know. And so we'll have to see again how the show is and how it performs. But the the trailer does make you lean in and and kind of perk up, and I think captures your interest if you like the more grounded and gritty and mature elements of what comic book storytelling could represent on the big or the small screen. And so what we saw here was was a side of the MCU that's just not been present. And and I think that that's a welcome change of pace. And they they did enough here to make me at least reinvest my interest into the show, because prior to this, I mean, by all accounts, I had pretty much zero interest. And I think a lot of what's been a challenge for Marvel as it relates to his audience lately is, is, is giving projects to characters that, that people don't really care about. And, and I just, I don't know how many people want to see echo on screen. And, and of course there's bigger implications and importance. Like it's, it's representation for native American indigenous people for, for the deaf population, like all of that stuff is important. And I think it's worth noting, but as a character, will that draw enough people in to want to watch it? And I think that this trailer did a good job of, adding on so much other stuff to make you want to like at least tap in and, and, and give it a chance to see what it's about because of the Wilson Fisk presence and daredevil and the story and the dark tone of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they continuously, you know, sort of tease out that, that echo is really a villain, not a hero. And they're leaning into the fact that she is a villain in this show. Like they're not going to really stray away from that. And she's going to do some questionable things. Like, so if we're, if we're looking at a character breaking bad over the course of these five episodes, like, okay, that that's something that I think is worth worth you know sort of checking out and seeing how that plays out but um 
Speaking of experimentation, though, they, they, they also discussed Marvel, how the, you know, with Echo, they're launching a new banner for projects called Marvel Spotlight. Um, this is something that's going to be completely new for them, and, and it, it's essentially a way to differentiate certain types of media and projects that they're developing, you know, uh, uh, across from, you know, sort of the more mainline MCU stuff. Um, Brad Winderbaum, who's the head of streaming over at Marvel, he had a quote about this this new plan to, to launch Marvel Spotlight. He said, quote, Marvel Spotlight gives us a platform to bring more grounded character-driven stories to the screen, and in the case of Echo, focusing on street-level stakes over larger MCU continuity. Just like comics, fans didn't need to read Avengers or Fantastic Four to enjoy to enjoy a Ghost Rider spotlight comic. Mm-hmm. Our audience doesn't need to have seen other Marvel series to understand what's happening in Maya's story, end quote. So essentially implying that this is something that does not require homework. You don't have to watch previous MCU shows, even though she appeared in Hawkeye. That's not necessarily going to be required to really understand the story here. And this appears to be something that they're going to really lean forward with in, in terms of other stories. Maybe maybe Daredevil is that. You know, Maybe other projects will be that. How do you feel about this being a, a new avenue for them, launching a new banner entirely that's going to you know sort of create this other corner of the MCU that doesn't necessarily require as much previous viewing as, as maybe some of those like mainline MCU projects have. Yeah, we're really far into the MCU right now. <laughs> like really, really far. In fact, um, you know, we just got done, you know, watching the the Marvels uh, um, last night. And one of the things about that movie, I was watching it like, damn, there's a lot in here. <laughs> like if you really think about it, there's a lot of setup that happens in order to get to the Marvels, if that makes sense. Like where all these characters are in there, uh, uh, just in the world, there's a lot going on. And so I kind of like the idea of Marvel spotlight because I can imagine somebody trying to get into Marvel content, but not have to worry about all the nitty gritty that the MCU has going on. And part of me likes the idea to be like, you don't have to know nothing at all. You kind of just jump into this project. So I like that idea of a Marvel spotlight, right? We talked about how kind of cool it is, is separated for uh, uh, what's the werewolf by night. You know what I mean? Even Moon Knight felt like it could have been Marvel spotlight, right? You don't really have to know anything in Moon Knight <laughs> in order to really watch that show. And so uh, part of me, part of me really likes this idea of Marvel spotlight, not only because of all of that, but I think even just hearing that, even hearing, you don't have to know anything else about the greater implications of the MCU. To me, that also ignites ideas to me that says, huh, I can do this thing. I can create something in Marvel Spotlight that may be separate from everything else. Again, that does feel grounded. That does feel disconnected. That may just feel, uh, uh, yeah, like just something else entirely. And maybe provide some creativity to a lot of those uh, initial and Echo. Some a lot of those street things, right? A lot of the Defenders kind of content, like you said, Daredevil. Maybe we do get. I don't know, some more, you know, street level shows under spotlight that people can enjoy. So I, I like the idea. I just hope they, you know, stick with it and, 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 and maybe, uh, uh, yeah, I just hope they stick with it, man, and, and, and actually make it an experiment uh, more than anything. Yeah, I think it's a good idea on paper. I'm just, you know, it's all going to just come down to how they actually utilize it across exactly. their stories, mm-hmm. because on one hand... I'm thinking, well, what took so long? Because we could have utilized this for other things that have come out. Moon Knight in particular fits perfectly under Marvel Spotlight. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to watch anything else to, to you know, sort of uh, dive in and enjoy Moon Knight or not enjoy it, however you feel about it. But I, 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 I do wonder if it actually has business implications in terms of what creatives could bring to the table. You know, right. you kind of just talked about that. Like, will this allow a chance and an opportunity for filmmakers to step in and say, 
hey, you know, I, I have a really unique take on this character. Can it be underneath this Marvel Spotlight banner? And can we do it completely separate from everything else? Or is it just like this cute name to help, you know, create sort of a, no, a new buzzy trend and, and an opening fanfare that's going to be somewhat different but not really mean anything? Because, um, you know, I, I think I think that that's still, that's still yet to be seen. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, though, and say like, well, okay, this is a nice way to say like, well, if you want to just enjoy a certain type of MCU story, it's probably going to exist under this particular corner, which a lot of it is leaning towards the Daredevil, the Echo, the Punisher. All those characters feel like they're going to they're going to fall underneath that. And so um, it, it could be a good thing. It could be a really useful thing as well in terms of how they actually like craft and, 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 and greenlight certain stories and projects and potentially work with filmmakers who might want to do something totally different out of what we see from from sacred timeline MCU stuff that that feels a little bit more coherent to the larger continuity. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all manifests and how it turns out. But um, let's go ahead and transition and get into the reason why we're here and talk about the season two finale of Loki, which has already arrived just that quickly um, and, and, and has done has done something that that no other MCU show has done up until this point. Um, minor spoiler, but they they concluded a story here. They they kind of wrap things up, and so we're we're gonna obviously break down this episode and talk about all the details and the specifics. But before we do that, we should start off with our non-spoiler thoughts in case you have not watched the episode and just kind of talk about everything that happened over the course of the finale from from a from a big picture perspective. And so uh, I'll turn it over to you, man. What did you think about this uh, this concluding chapter, the season two finale of Loki? They have done it. They have found a way to properly open a book and close a book within the Marvel Cinematic Universe TV show realm. This episode of Loki is absolutely and for sure one of my favorite episodes of MCU, really anything, um, but even one of my favorite episodes of TV of the year, man. I've, I've, I've spoke about um, these past couple of episodes, how I feel about the poetry and the way a lot of the things are written in this show. And I think this episode brings it all home together in the most poetic way that I could that could ever even imagine man I'm 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 so excited um to get into the nitty-gritty of this episode because there's so much here man but shout out to Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead man I think they one I think we need them in other TV shows this cannot be it for them <laughs> I think they we need to see them somewhere else more often shout out to writer Eric Martin too but also composer Natalie Holt um I absolutely love the score in the the music for for of course Loki in general, but this episode in particular, she was going stupid, man, and, and I have to give her kudos for that too. But man, what a amazing episode of television! Again, I'm very excited that I'm so happy that they stuck the landing, man. And it, I feel like you know it's been a long time coming. I uh, it's something about this 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 character that you know I don't know. It feels like. We 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 just been, you know, uh, uh, with him for, for so long and seeing these seasons play out. I've always been worried, like, I hope they don't mess up Loki. I hope they don't mess up Loki. And I think they got Loki right. Uh, but shout out to Tom Hiddleston. I, I think I think this guy, again, has just been cemented as like one of the MCU goats. <laughs> Loki, like, I think we need to we need to put him in conversation. It's time to start, talk about you know, uh, we need to put him with the Robert Downey Juniors. We need to put him with the with everybody else, man. I think 
he really killed it um, in the, in this in this TV series, man. But exceptional episode of television. I think uh, I, I think they did it, man. And, and really, I just hope they, they can, the MCU can continue to have more. I think just TV shows like this or more care with the TV shows like this and they can continue to stick landings because it's a very hard thing to do. But Loki season two, episode six, they absolutely stuck the landing here. This finale was wonderful. It was such a treat to watch. It is incredibly ambitious. They took some really, really big swings with the story and how they wanted to really wrap up this season of television and wrap up the story of Loki, at least for the time being. And everything that they've said leading up until this and the teases and just the quotes that have come out from different filmmakers and people involved in the project, it absolutely makes sense now considering what we've seen that this is a truly one of the most well-developed characters that we've gotten in any live-action comic book storytelling, film, or television. Loki represents something that is uh, truly remarkable in the way of how you can take a character, start him off at one place, and then transition him and take him to an entirely new place, have him learn lessons, have him grow and evolve and change over time, and have us as an audience be invested and involved the entire way because I can't think of one low-key appearance where he's not doing something significant or important. Every time he's been brought into the MCU, whether it be in the Thor movies or now this television show or the Avengers and those crossover projects, he always plays an incredibly important role. And as I've said a couple of times previously, this is the best iteration of the character that we've gotten. It is miles ahead of anything we saw out of the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. It's miles ahead of what we got out of the Avengers movies. They have taken this low-key character and made him truly one of the more important and one of the more beloved characters that we've gotten out of the MCU. And that's a that's a, 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 a certainly a, a rare feat when you have those stalwarts like a Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, like a Chris Evans as Captain America. Like there are many, many people a part of this franchise that people love and adore Mm -hmm. that have done so much for so many people. And Loki is up there top five easily in terms of characterizations and just the overall arc that we got. And this episode really, really nailed it in terms of bringing that full circle and making us remember all of the stuff that got us here, all of the moments that have contributed to his growth as a character and just also sort of the poignant, tragic and poetic nature of where he ends up by the end of this and i think that everybody a part of this should be commended from the filmmaking prowess and and the technical achievements the cinematography the score everything to to the actual performances in and of itself from from pretty much the entire cast um this this elevates itself as being the best mcu television show I, i don't think it's really all that close anymore especially considering now that there's two seasons and and one complete story this is this is something that uh they should certainly use as a blueprint moving forward hopefully for future television shows that they decide to green light and develop so i'm absolutely knocked out by it and i'm wholly satisfied by everything that we got out of the season finale of low-key so folks with all of that out the way if you've not seen episode six of low-key this is your official spoiler warning we're going to dive into the details and talk about all the nitty-gritty so go watch it on disney plus and come back and finish the rest of our conversation as we have noted this episode is once again directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and it is appropriately titled Glorious Purpose, which is the exact same title as the series premiere of Loki. so they truly are bringing it full circle. But really where we start off this week is once again ending off of how things ended last week. You know, we, we found out that Loki 
was able to control his time-slipping abilities. He was able to figure out a way to channel that energy and essentially have the power to rewrite the story and go back to any moment in time that he could Mm -hmm. in order to fix the inevitable implosion of the TVA that was about to happen. And so we find Loki at the top of this episode right next to OB. Moments before, Victor Timely walks out on that platform and spaghettifies away, and he spends the next few minutes in our time, but really the (laughs) next 10 years, 20 years, 100, multiple thousands of years, (laughs) trying to figure out how to rewrite this story Mm -hmm. and how to fix this problem and how to prevent the implosion of the TVA, and we just see him going through this moment over and over and over again. He's rushing through the instructions to try to get the multiplier out onto the loom. He's trying to get Victor Timely to move quicker. He's trying to make sure that everybody understands just the gravity of the situation. And you also get like moments where Mobius is confused, like, wait, this time? Why did you say this time? There's all sorts of stuff happening as we see Loki just replaying this moment over and over again. And so they really start off in a, in a very fast-paced environment at the top of this episode to just showcase, again, how he's able to navigate his way through time over and over and get essentially an unlimited amount of do-overs and, and retries at this attempt to try to save things. So what were your thoughts as you just saw this unfold and you saw all this play out, just him figuring out every possible situation, every potential solution, so that he could come up with a way to create a remedy for it? Like, it even went so far as to making sure that he didn't send the device down on the platform so that it doesn't roll <laughs> off. So he's been through this a lot of times. What did yeah. you think about just seeing all this play out? It's really cool, man, because, uh, you know, Loki, you know, up until this point, everything has been, again, so much about time. But now he has it, like, literally at the palm of his hand. He can go back and try to change any and everything. And I really love the the, the dedication to say, Okay, OB, how long would it take for me to learn about the physics to make up my own throughput multiplier if I had to? Victor Time was like centuries, and he literally spends the time to literally centuries in order to learn all that information to come back to that moment, man, where they're trying to fix the loom. It's 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 so crazy. You got to have a different kind of resolve, I think, to to want to uh to have to to do that, but. What is what is even all this if people don't exist, right? If none of this exists, what is any of this for? And so I love that Loki uh, uh, takes the time to do that. Not only that, but Loki now, you know, uh, he does have the opportunity to rewrite the story. And in, in, in this, we really are taking a moment to see him panic to for him to get it right. Um, a lot of us in real life, we don't get that moment, right? We don't get that. That 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 power to be able to go back in time to stop time to do something differently, but Loki does have that power, and that is in this moment at least what makes him a god is that he's able to go back and do the best that he can to get that temporal loom in the best in the best uh, uh, position as possible, man. So it was really cool to watch. I love how fast paced it was. I love <laughs> it was it was like uh, I don't know. It's funny because it's in from our point of view, it looked like he was scrambling, right? But we know it was like over at least 200 years, right? Centuries with an S. So it was at least over 200 years that it took him to do this. So I thought that was really interesting um, how they played with, again, how, how fast it seemed to be going, but how long it probably really took Loki to get to this point. Yeah, you know, once that uh, Beethoven's fifth kicked in, it's like, oh, we're here for a while. We're just going to be doing the sequence over and over again. It's very much Groundhog Day, reliving the same events over and over and learning every possible solution and outcome possible. And when you think about it, like if you were to go back and replay any scenario multiple times, the amount of variations that you're going to see in any given situation would probably result in the thousands or 
maybe even the millions of just everything that could be possible, the, the slight differences that can change the outcome of something. I mean, think back to Infinity War. Doctor Strange saw 14 million different possible solutions to the conflict with Thanos. Like, that can look like any number of ways. Yeah. And that's really what Loki was going through here to learn just about every possible solution, roadblock, pathway, whatever it was going to be to solve this problem, and, and, and then to take it a step further and to have to learn the theoretical physics that it would take to actually execute this plan, that's him actually going that step further. Like, okay, well, I really have to double down here and understand how this device works. It's not enough to just, like, find the moment of time because it became, like, very apparent to him that it's not a speed issue. Like, doing it faster isn't going to solve it. Victor Timely still got spaghettified every single time. Mm. I have to go back even further to the time that they first met, have that conversation, and then learn how this device actually works. And that's when I become a master of time. That's when I truly have the power to navigate it and figure it out and how to come up with the solution. And by the time you get to that point on the final try, when they are able to successfully put the multiplier in the temporal loom, mm. what I found interesting about Loki's approach in that situation is how calm he was because he had been through this so many times you know he wasn't yelling he wasn't frantic he wasn't aggressive with everybody he was like okay i know what we need to do this is how we're going to do it this is how fast we need to go victor it's time to be brave he pep talked him through it and then finally when he gets out on the gateway to walk the multiplier down through the loom and loki is on the speaker like he sounds so calm he knows exactly what's going to happen oh yeah remember not to sit it down on the pathway so it doesn't roll over He's like a patient parent at this point because he's dealt with it all these yeah. inevitable, you know, different amounts of time. And, and, and you get the moment where it feels like victory is achieved. The multiplier is able to get to the temporal loom. Victor Timely gets back successfully, unscathed, like everybody is having the celebratory moment. And it feels like all is good. And then I checked the timestamp on Disney Plus and it was like 15 minutes into the episode. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, there's no <laughs> way that this can be over. And, and by no means was it. We, we, we find out very quickly here that all of that was for nothing. It, it didn't really matter because there are so many infinite branches of the mm -hmm. timeline. There is no possible solution in which the loom could be able to contain everything. And so the way that Victor Timely put it, it's like trying to divide by zero. We could do this all day long, but there's no possible solution. There's no outcome in which we can stop this from happening because there's just too many branches. There's too many timelines. And you see that defeat come across Loki. You see exactly what happens in that moment where he just realizes like, I just spent all of this time doing this for nothing. And, and, and now, like, what am I going to do? But Sylvie says something very important to him. She's like, well, it feels like that this was always meant to happen as soon as the timelines branched. And that kind of signals a light bulb in Loki where he has to go back further mm -hmm. than where he's been going. He actually has to go back to the events of the season one finale of Loki and confront Sylvie at the very moment before she kills He Who Remains. And then we proceed on another sequence of events that replay over and over and over again. So what did you think, you know, before we get into like the he who remains section specifically, mm -hmm. but what did you think about that, that realization that now we have to go back further. We actually have to go back to an event that we've already lived through as an audience, a very important seminal event that set in motion everything that happened in the season, of course. But now that he has to go back to that and try to convince Sylvie just the, the, the gravity and the importance of the situation, especially in a moment that's so vengeful and rageful for her where she knows she wants to kill he who remains. Yeah, for a second, I kind of had the idea of like, are they about to undo the entire season by him going back in time and watching, you know, Sylvie potentially, you know, not kill he who remains? I was like, oh, no. What, what, what is that? You know, what's going to happen there? But I absolutely love the idea 
again, because we have now bought in that Loki can change anything at this point, right? That Loki really is this god of time slash god of stories who can go back and change any moment in time that he can. Um, so I, 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 I like the idea a lot, especially given Sylvie has... This is th the entire season, no matter what has happened, it always felt like, damn, if Sylvie didn't kill this dude, we wouldn't be in any of this. Like, over and over, almost every episode, that's what I kept thinking. <laughs> like, damn, if Sylvie just didn't kill Here Who Remains, would any of this be like this? And it's finally, it was like, we finally go to a point where it's like, oh, shoot, he can change this thing. So I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant to kind of go back to that moment, because it's almost like they were thinking how we were thinking as an audience, like, man, this if, if none of this, if she doesn't kill this dude, where, where are we? Does any of this happen? And I love that they, they finally get to the point where it feels like, oh, yeah, if, 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 if Sylvie doesn't, or if, if uh, yeah, if Sylvie doesn't kill him, let's see what happens. Let's see if we can change that outcome. So, yeah, if, if, it was a cool uh, idea. Yeah, and, you know, the, the way that last week's episode ended was seeing Loki appear at the moment that Victor Timely is about to walk out on the on the pathway. We see him next to OB, and mm -hmm. there was a lot of people online, on Twitter, you know, saying, like, well, why doesn't he just go back to the moment before Sylvie kills He Who Remains? And they, they actively addressed that in this episode. Like, of course they would have to go back to that, um, knowing that the solution of fixing the temporal loom was not going to be possible. And so I think it was really clever, and it was a nice way to pay off the, the, the callback that they sort of set up with the opening Marvel Studios logo, which which actually starts off backwards. You know, yep. we start off with the logo in front of us and then we move through it backwards. And so they always play with these creative tricks and show us exactly what they're going to do and what their intentions are with the story that they're going to tell. And that's how they did it with that logo, that opening fanfare. And 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 this is Loki having to replay through these really, really important moments in his life. And Ultimately, again, it's a failure. It's almost an inevitability that Sylvie is going to kill He Who Remains unless Loki decides to make the very difficult choice to kill Sylvie. So we see him just going through this over and over and over again, Sylvie defeating Loki to get past him and then ultimately killing He Who Remains, which is just going to set up the events of season two all over again. But then I think one of the more shocking things happened that uh, that I certainly did not see coming. We see he who remains in this very moment stop time. He uses his temp hat to stop time, and he asks Loki, like, well, how many times have you been at this? So he's already very aware of everything that's happening outside of time. You know, they've stepped out outside of this moment to have a conversation, and we find out that Victor Timely has seen all of this. He's played all of this out in his head in the way that things were written. He's already known that Loki was going to do everything that's happened over the course of season two. He knew about the time slipping. He knew that he was going to end up in this situation and have to come back at the end of time at the Citadel to try to, to try to prevent this moment. So this knowledge that he who remains has, it, it's pretty infinite at this point. It, mm -hmm. it, it knows no bounds and they have this back and forth. And we also kind of see the power of Loki as well. Who's been through quite a lot himself at this moment and has gone through centuries of learning and do overs. So we, we, we kind of, get the standoff between i think two of the more powerful entities that we've seen out of the mcu ever you know what, what did you think about this moment just the kind of the shocking nature of it the fact that so much of this has been set in motion and already already planned and and, and also just the realization that there was only only going to be a couple of pathways for loki to walk down whether or not to kill sylvie to destroy the loom like whatever that was going to look like and just how that whole conversation sort of manifested between these two man it's kind of scary how all of this plays out because uh, again the writing man they're doing such a good job here because they get us of course to buy into he who remains and all the Kang variants at that being these very smart right eventually powerful figures that again uh, they always they're always three four five steps ahead 
And then he who remains does eventually pass at the end of season one. You're like, okay, he who remains don't have to worry about him anymore. This man was playing chess in 5D, bro. He's playing chess on like some other kind of level dimension, Professor X. I don't know. This dude is like ridiculously smart um, to where you. we went through all of this. It's like he who remains made season two of Loki. That's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> like this dude actually conjured all of this up. But to know that that Loki was going to end up at this place in this time in this very specific scenario is absolutely crazy. But it, it scares you even more to know that he, he, he who remains, his mind is even capable of getting to this point. Again, not that we had like necessarily seen him peak or anything, but he knew a lot. Right. At the end of the uh, season one, we seen him know a lot and we see him uh, uh, control a lot. But for him to to say, oh, I knew this would happen and I knew you'd be back here at this time. The time slipping. Yeah. How do you think you how do you think that happened? That was all me. Crazy. Did not see it coming. They really got me. <laughs> they really surprised me with all of those things, man. Uh, they, they did. They did. Um, but it, it's a it's, it's it's really good. Other thing, man. But the choice that Loki has here, right, between the the killing Sylvie or potentially letting the loom blow up and for there to be one sacred timeline is just i mean i how how do you choose and i think that's a that's literally like the rest of the episode from here on out right it's like how the hell do you choose something like that and so i really love the conversation between him and he who remains i think um like you said it's kind of like two powerhouses going at it but something that i do love about this dynamic is kang is more of a he's a scientist who kind of has taken his science and his knowledge and his brain and has somewhat risen to the, the, the I, I guess, kind of the, the stature of a god, right? Versus Loki, who just is. <laughs> Loki just is a god, and that is literally part of his nature. So I love, I don't know, I love kind of the conversations between them two because you can kind of see and feel the differences in, 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 uh, in who they are. And so it's, it's really cool seeing all of this play out. Man, I think uh, this really reinforced the fact that I think that He Who Remains is the most sinister version of Kang that we've seen thus far and the most frightening version just because of how much he's been capable of and how much he knows far exceeds what we saw out of the, the Kang in Quantumania just because mm -hmm. of the, the pure power that he possesses, just all of the knowledge that he possesses and the fact that this man sat here and allowed Loki to go through centuries of learning theoretical physics to just end up at this place in time to tell him, I've known that this was going to happen the entire time. How maniacal is that? To just allow it to happen, to allow himself to be killed by Sylvie just so that Loki would walk this path anyway. It's, it's actually kind of crazy when you think about it and just the fact that at the end of season one, he who remains told both of them, I have written this entire path for you. You have walked it, and this is why you were here. But it went far beyond what we even knew at that point, and it went far beyond what they knew at that point. Like, it extended all the way until season two, and as you said, it's like he already wrote season two before the fucking writer's room ever got to it. <laughs> right. He knew what was going to happen, and so they just ended up at a place that was inevitable for them. It's really, really crazy, and it just showcases how far advanced he who remains is. But I do love that they at least kept Loki on somewhat of an equal playing field where he basically kind of snaps his fingers 
and freezes time. And he's like, well, what what makes you think that this is the first time we've had this conversation? Mm-hmm. Like, I've already been here as well because you gave me this ability. And because I do have the ability to go back and do this over and over and over again, we've already been here. So now I know exactly how to approach this conversation. And so they can just get straight to the fucking facts. It's either this or this. You either mm-hmm. kill Sylvie, which it's pretty clear you're not going to do because you probably walked through this 100 times, 200, 300 times already. Or Loki comes up with another solution to destroy or allow the loom to be destroyed, which would eventually start another multiversal war, which has kind of been the biggest threat of this entire show at this point. And so presumably we're faced with what what seems like that impossible choice, what seems like two really dark options for Loki. But one really important thing happens here, and, and, and Loki has really two two of the most important conversations that he's going to have, you know, first with Mobius and then with, with Sylvie, but we, we should start with the Mobius conversation because he goes back even further mm-hmm. from this moment. We, we essentially go back to the beginning of the series and we see Loki sitting with Mobius. The first time that they really meet with each other where they're having a conversation about who Loki is, what he wants, what his ambitions are, all of these things that, that, that really unpacked his character development up until that point. Loki, he can cut to the chase. He's like, I already know what you're going to say. I know I know about the timekeepers. I know about the TVA. I have a question for you. How do you choose? How do you make the choice about the burden that you decide to bear? And we get a story from Mobius where he talks about a time where there was a, a, a hunter, a part of the TVA, two hunters that went back on the sacred timeline to kill somebody who was going to be responsible for 5,000 deaths. And once they arrived at the scene of the situation, they, they found that it was just a child. It was somebody who seemed extremely innocent, but they arrived at this moment in time before the child, I guess, presumably was going to take shape and, and take the form of this monstrous figure and be responsible for so many deaths. But this person was not capable of carrying out that death. And so the partner, the other hunter, was able to do it in, in that moment and make that, that very difficult choice. Long story short, we find out that on that mission... It was Mobius himself and Ravona Renslayer. They were on this this mission together as hunters, and Ravona made the choice to kill the child, whereas Mobius could not make that choice, and that set them down on their own individual paths. Ravona right. went on to be a judge and a very powerful figure in the TVA. Mobius just kind of stayed as an analyst, you know, somebody on a little bit of a lower level. And this really was eye opening to Loki about that choice and about making that that really difficult choice of of what your burden is going to be. So, what did you th- think about that conversation? The fact that we got to learn a little bit more about Mobius and his relationship to Ravona and just the path that they walked and also how that that particular story really informed Loki about what course of action he was going to take over the next few moments man what an amazing moment uh I think in the in in this series man because it is it is it doesn't take long it's not that long of a sequence but it's so impactful I think it literally sets the tone for the rest of the episode man but there is there's something there um one I think it's so interesting that it was Mobius and Renslayer. Um, one, when when Loki finds out that it's Renslayer, it's almost like, ah, Renslayer. I definitely don't want to be like her. <laughs> it's kind of like one thing, one realization I feel like he had. But there is another thing there where part of the reason I feel like Mobius didn't kill that kid because he, there's still the essence inside Mobius, inside of him, that he has kids. You know what I mean? Like, he has children on on his version of the timeline he knows what it what it is and what it's like to to be around kids to have them of course he's not going to kill that kid um um, and that kind of speak to what i spoke to last episode where we did see all the characters on their own timeline there was always something kind of about them 
that carried over. All they, they, although they feel like completely different people, there was always something about them, their essence, their character that carried over into the TVA version of themselves. And here it was kind of Mobius be, in, in my mind being like, there's no way he could kill that kid. He's too compassionate for children. I'm sure he's purged other people. Sure, uh, you know, of course, he's, Mobius has his sins as well, right? But he's not going to kill a kid who is minding his business, especially uh, uh, if he has kids in that normal timeline. So I thought that was really interesting too, man. But Mobius drops probably the best quote <laughs> that I have heard in a very long time, man. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this quote to the grave. But again, uh, um, they're, they're talking about having to kill the kid on that timeline. And, and Mobius tells tells Loki after you know asking him how, to, how he makes the choice. And Mobius says, most purpose is more burden than glory. And trust me, you never want to be the guy who avoids it because you can't live with the burden. Wow. I almost, I actually almost like threw something at the screen <laughs> of how good of a quote that was. Again, this is, this is, this really is a, 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 about glorious purpose. This is about walking in your purpose at this point. This TV show, what, who Loki is meant to be. We've been talking about Godhood and all of those things. And Mobius really breaks it down that purpose ain't that easy. <laughs> And, and, and I think that's such an interesting thing to bring home again, not just for Loki, but for viewers. You know what I'm saying? I was like, damn, that is some deep stuff, Mobius, that, that you know, walking in your purpose is not that easy. And it's not going to be without burden. Um, and even episode one, uh, 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 Loki does say burdened with glorious purpose, but it's never that the glorious purpose will come with a burden. It's never like the topic of conversation. So I love how they spend it. I love how Mobius kind of put. Uh, uh, things in perspective for Loki is just all again carried over through the rest of the episode. I thought it was very well, very well scripted, man. Yeah, you know, the recap of how this episode starts is the scene from the Avengers in which Loki introduces himself. He says, I am Loki of Asgard and I am burdened with glorious purpose. And the way that those words and that phrase take shape over 10 years is really, really crazy because the, the way he says it there, it, it, it's of a, it's of a, I think of a mindset in which he feels that he has something that's owed to him in terms of having a throne and having a seat of power and being able to rule over a people because people need that. Humanity needs a leader. They need somebody that can subjugate them and lead them to a better place. And that's, that's what he feels like is his purpose. But now you get, to this and this show it's it's entirely different like that is almost like a non-factor at this point like you look at those three words burden glory and purpose and they all mean something so different but they're intrinsically related to the character now and Mobius, in that one quick second with that quote is able to really frame it all in, in a way that i don't think loki has ever necessarily considered because just an episode ago when he was talking to Sylvie, when Loki was talking to Sylvie, a lot of this was about himself and what he wanted to achieve and what he wanted to do to save his friends and to not be alone and to save the TVA. Well, it's like, okay, you can want that, which Sylvie says is okay to want and desire that, but at what cost will it come to achieve that? Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see Loki kind of change that mindset and, and understand that, that that purpose that he might have to walk is going to be a burden. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be thankless, essentially. Mm. And that's exactly the type of life that Mobius has been living as an analyst. Like, it's a very thankless job to do what he's doing and, and, to, and to go across these different timelines and to make sure that everything is in order. And you get that moment of reflection out of Mobius where, you know, Loki asks him, like, well, how do you deal with that? How do you live with that? 
and Mobius responds and says, it's scar tissue. Like, these mm. wounds are very much still here. Like, I'm still living with this every single day. I still wow. think about this all the time. This is painful, but this is what I've chosen, and this is how I have to walk my my particular purpose and my particular path. So it was it was just so poignant and, and I think so meaningful and, and really one of the best conversations. And it was so important that it came from Mobius as well, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for, for Loki to hear that. It had to come from somebody he trusted. It had to come from a friend because they are – 1000% friends, you know, by this point of the story. Obviously at this at this moment they weren't friends yet because it was in the past, but Loki's right. already been down that path and knows what Mobius is going to mean to him and so for him to hear those words was 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 extremely important. But there was one more piece of business he had to tend to. It couldn't be over then. He had to go see Sylvie because there was also still the potential that he could kill Sylvie to prevent Sylvie from killing he who remains, which would just strip away all of these potential outcomes anyway and so he decides to visit sylvie back at the workshop that ad doug had uh from from the previous episode where we started to see that timeline also spaghettify and everybody else spaghettify and right before the moment that sylvie is able to you know spaghettify and 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 evaporate away loki freezes time to have a conversation with her and he's about to break down what he knows and what happens sylvie already knows kind of where he's going with it which i love that choice i love the fact that like Sylvia is still a Loki also herself. She's still also a guy, so right. he doesn't have to have as much exposition with her as he would with other people. She can kind of see where he's going. Mm-hmm. But she basically tells him, like, you're not going to get my blessing if you if you need to kill me. Like, that's <laughs> not that's not what this is going to be. You're not getting off the hook that easy. Because if you do kill me, the outcome of that is that you will still inevitably strip away the free will that people will have because he who remains will still be in power. So that's also still another super difficult choice. And and, and Loki responds and, and wonders, but what is the point of free will if everybody dies? Mm. Which is also, I think, an equally valuable and valid yeah. response. And so uh, what did you think about this moment? You know, another very pivotal conversation that Loki had to have once more with Sylvie before he was going to make the decision that he ultimately made. Yeah. Uh, and again, I love I love this moment, too, because the whole time there is the on the weighing scale is, is still kill Sylvie or not. <laughs> I love how that's like still like on the scale. Um, and, and in this moment, you're like, damn, this dude is really about to have to sacrifice Sylvie. And, and it's such an interesting idea because like you said, she is a Loki. And so it's like, is this like some crazy poetic way to say he has to kill a version of himself in order to save all of time? Um, and that's deep within itself too, right? I'm like, damn, that's also pretty poetic especially somebody who again they, they pretty much like drop the love story completely between those two right uh in in this show which is fine but they, that is somebody he did spend time with that is somebody he did um admire at some point in time they were kind of on the adventure together in season one you know what i mean it was kind of them two uh, uh trying to figure this thing out and, and having to go back to her and say look i might have to kill you is crazy um and, and, and also like you said i like how she already knew kind of what loki was going through and kind of what he was trying to say you know without all the exposition but she's also a woman and women have like crazy intuition with some of these things <laughs> they <laughs> maybe do like, maybe like seeing the future and shit i don't know whatever yeah. uh but she 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 just kind of knew and so i love this kind of it's like morality warfare between them two because they both have good points this is completely kind of off subject but obama was low-key talking about the free palestine stuff and and they were were interviewing him and he was like there's a lot of shit (laughs) low-key that's what obama's trying to say he was like it's not 
that easy to always come to a conclusion to always go fight for the other country because there's more to it than that. And that's kind of what this felt like of them arguing back and forth is like there's just a lot and there's more to it than that. Sylvie was kind of right about her ideas. Loki was also kind of right about the ideas that he was giving back. Um, um, in, in, in Sylvie, she does say something that's even more important almost, though, because she says, who are you to decide we can't die fighting? You're just replacing one nightmare with another. And that was almost like more right. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, damn, that's also a really good point. Um, in, 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 yeah, man. And, 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 and again, she, they come to the conclusion or she says, sometimes it's okay to destroy something. And, and it's, I love that it's just Loki's going back and forth. Part of me wishes if there was like a council of Loki's, we might have figured this out a long time ago because Sylvie and Loki going back and forth. They're saying some real shit that I think have always have uh, greater implications or realizations. But Loki says, if there's hope that you can replace one thing with something better, of course, that's when everything is like, oh, shit. But what I I still think the show Loki is talking about police reform. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, do y'all hear this? Y'all not talking about police yeah. reform here? What's going on here? I really do feel like they, they, there's some there's some things in there about that. But man, Sylvie, Sylvie and Loki was talking that talk, man. Right after Mobius, this was literally like 10 minutes of some really good ass writing that I really appreciated because the dialogue, it was it was smooth. It made sense. It was smart. And I, I love that. I, I just really love it. I think they were really killing it here. Yeah, I mean, they 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 knock it out of the park every time Sylvie and Loki have a conversation with each other because it is always a morality play. She is very much of a certain type of mindset, of a particular mindset that she's really not budging for. Mm -hmm. She hears Loki. She listens and, and she can she can see those different pathways because she has that ability. But she also has equally valid responses all the time and, yeah. and and I think that that's what make the, that, that that's what makes their dynamic the most interesting because even though it isn't as much of a romantic place as it probably was in season one like obviously there's still love there there's there's still immense love between those two there and that's why they can have these very difficult conversations and you know it's 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 like Loki learning from a version of himself you know and, and, and having to take the knowledge that Sylvie can impart on him or at least the perspective and think about it maybe in a different light as she says it's it's okay to destroy something as long as there is something better to replace it with you know which that does snap into focus really the entire plan that he's gonna that he's gonna you know run with in in the very next scenes but it was it was a great way i think to remind us of the stakes to remind us of all of the possible solutions and outcomes and and, and you know also remind us you know there is a sacrifice to killing sylvie it's not just as simple as saying like well sylvie you have to die Right. so that we can prevent all of this from happening no there is still a repercussion if you do that then that free will idea that goes out the window too i love that they threw that back in there because that's a very important reason as to why sylvie did what she did to begin with exactly. to allow people to have that choice to allow people to walk away from the tva if they so choose to like that 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 goes out of the window if you go back and prevent that moment of her killing he who remains and so all of the stakes are at play at this point. Um, before we move into this last section, like, did you ever actually think that Loki was going to kill Sylvie? Because they toyed with that idea for, for quite a while in the middle portion of this episode. Like, of course, at the Citadel, they go back and forth, you know, playing the sequence over and over. But then it comes it becomes very apparent, as, as you noted, that that is still very much an option on the table. So, like, were you ever thinking, like, it's, it's going to, you know, be, be an, uh, you know, sort of an untimely end for her just due to the fact that, her specific choice at the end of season one was just so responsible for everything that happened. Yeah, there was definitely a moment I thought 
she might have to die. Um, and it really is when Loki is going through the motions of trying to stop Sylvie from 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 trying to kill He Who Remains. There was like a a moment where you're just like, there's no other way, <laughs> or at least that's how I felt in watching it. It was like, damn. There's absolutely no other way. And I love how they, again, walk us to the moment till we get to Sylvie. Because, again, still in that moment where he's talking to Sylvie, I'm like, he really might have to go back in time and kill this woman. And I don't know what that looks like. Um, but I thought this might legit be the only way. And, and in my mind, even the conversation, after having a conversation with Mobius, that also kind of felt like the direction it was pointing to, right? When we talk about Renslayer killing the kid. Sylvie might have to be the kid in this moment and, and Loki might have to be Renslayer. Like and they just continuously and constantly to me were pointing towards Sylvie might have to be the sacrificial lamb here in order to save something. Um, and, 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 and uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely thought there was a moment where she might have to get axed out of here in order to save everything. Yeah. They, they play with it for sure to, to, to get you to think about, okay, Here's a character that, um, you know, I think is pretty beloved and, and people really enjoy, but also have like actual content towards her because, mm -hmm. damn, like, why did you do that, Sylvie? Like, if, if this could have been prevented or done a different way, we could have considered, you know, other options and then we wouldn't be here at this place. And so maybe it would be a little poetic to go back and prevent all of that from happening and, and, and you have to die. But that's the easy way out when yeah. when you think about the episode that's kind of the easy route to take to just kill her off i think death can be significant mm -hmm. but also sylvie and her tragic backstory and the fact that and she said it in this episode that she grew up in apocalypses she grew up in darkness and loneliness her entire life mm -hmm. and now she's finally free she's finally allowed the opportunity in the moment to choose a lifestyle for her and live it in the way that she wants to for that to be stripped away and robbed from her would have been, I think, a, a, a an easy and probably less satisfying choice ultimately for for them to make. And so I'm glad that's not the direction that they went. They went into you know somewhere else entirely that uh, that I think is even more more significant and more impactful again overall to to what they were trying to achieve here. But after Sylvie says all of this stuff to him, Loki kind of realizes what his plan is going to be. He goes back to the moment right before the temporal loom is about to explode. And before anybody can stop him, he goes out onto the pathway. He closes the door behind him to prevent anybody from 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 preventing him from going out on the pathway. So Sylvie can't reach him. Mobius can't reach him. And we get just a really, really powerful sequence over the next few minutes, seeing Loki walk out on that pathway, seeing his TVA uniform shed away and a brand new costume appearing with the cape and the drape and the horns. And we see Loki essentially grabbing all of these branch timelines because he just destroyed the temporal loom essentially and now he's taking all of these loose branch timelines and he's using his magic to hold them all together to bring them all together and as he as he's walking amongst all of these dying branches and and and, and as he's grabbing hold of them you know he he walks he walks down the gateway and we see this ripped in this this ripple in time at, at, at the citadel and he's able to ascend to this throne and, and and keep everything intact, you know, while using his magic and, and in doing so creates sort of this new tree of time. This 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 version of Yggdrasil, you know, which is very reminiscent of Asgardian mythology that we've seen before, you know, really, really profound in this in this way, in this visual. And and it essentially showcases Loki is now like the new keeper of time. He's sitting on this throne at the end of time, making sure that things stay intact. And so it, it's a really, really powerful 
way, I think, to, to take this character in this direction. But they just do it with this really perfunctory music, this really mm -hmm. emotional, high tense situation where there's not much dialogue. We just watch, as, watch it as an audience and we just see it all unfold. And I think by the end of it, we ultimately realize like what he's doing here. And, and, it, and it's it's manifesting what Sylvie told him, that, that you are replacing something that, that, that used to exist with something that's supposed to be better. So what were your thoughts about all of this? It's obviously a lot. The new costume, just the way that it all looked, you know, the representation of Yggdrasil, him being on the throne. How did you feel about just seeing this moment unfold and what it ultimately means for, for the Loki character? You know what's really cool about this episode? This episode, Thursday, November 9th, is one year after Thor Ragnarok came out, actually. Um, I was like, oh, shit, that's, a, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, two really good just Loki stories you know what I mean I love I don't know what it is about the character Loki right now but Loki is turning up um, across across these uh, uh, these stories man but wow where to even start man I'll, I'll start with the walking out in the costume there there is just a moment where Loki just has a realization and he starts to to run out onto the walkway and you're like is this dude about to just go commit some kind of suicide like is he like what is this sacrifice about to be and, and, and you know it's so interesting um because it's like damn what if it is what if the burden it for him is death you know what i mean and that is that is he doesn't want to sacrifice sylvie right that's also his friend in this time he also understands sylvie's resolve at this time maybe that's his own resolve is to potentially do some uh potentially uh, uh give himself up but that's not how it goes at all, man. He's walking on the walkway, step after step. And it's it's crazy. I didn't know what was happening at first. At first, I thought he was fading away. Yeah. At first, yeah, when I, I first too. seen it, I was like, is this dude dying? Is this what's happening? Is like this, this temporal radiation about to kill Loki in real time? No, he was literally changing into a god. What I love about this entire thing, man, this entire, th this entire sequence is he is quite literally in this moment not only taking up the burden that we were just talking about with Mobius, he is quite literally walking in his purpose. I, again, I almost threw something at the TV <laughs> when I realized what was happening. He's quite literally grabbing the timelines and walking. Not only was he walking in his purpose, he was literally ascending to a throne Come on now. He was literally ascending to the throne and it was it was just so beautiful the way it was happening in in his costume. When you see it, again, I love how it's an evolution, right? It doesn't just appear. It's like the cape comes down slowly. It's like, "Oh, there's a headband, but there's no horns yet, but there will be horns. The horns come out eventually." It literally feels like it's representing the evolution of what is happening. And of course, uh, this 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 TV show as Loki feels like such a good character arc and a complete character arc that it almost feels like we're watching him evolve into something completely different. This is what his godhood looks like. This is Loki as the god of mischief turning into the god of time, the god of stories, whatever you want it to be, man. What's also interesting is as Loki, as he was the god of mischief, he moved around a lot. Loki was booked and busy. Literally, Thor won. He's over here. He's over there. He's with Thanos. He's in New York. He's always doing something. But now, as the god of stories, he's just still. He's sitting at the top of the throne, alone and still. I thought that was also just a powerful idea, man. But there's also a moment halfway through the walkway 
where he has to look back at all of his friends as somewhat of a goodbye. And they're all looking back at him like, what the hell is this dude doing? And there, there is a shot of where they're all in the dark. I, 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 maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I was like, they have no idea what's going on. Of course, they're in the dark, right? They have their, uh, what is happening? They're watching, they're watching a god do something. And what's funny is Loki barely knows what he's doing, right? Like he knows what he's doing. He has resolve of what he's doing, but he doesn't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. He's like walking into, it's like walking by faith almost. He's like, I know I'm powerful enough to do this thing, but let's see if it works kind of type thing. That feels like the energy he's walking with in this moment, man. And, and, and you know, uh, Sylvie, Sylvie looks at him and goes, he's given us a chance. And I really like that too, because all of this is about Loki's losing and having to lose. Nope, not this time, because Loki has given us a chance to win, man. Um, um, in, 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 man, it's just a very beautiful moment. The music is firing at all cylinders. Shout out to Natalie Holt again, because it's just, it, it's, it's one of the best looking things that I've seen from the MCU in a while. Of course, there's a ton of CGI, but it looks good. It's colorful. It's vibrant. In, in, in the music is coming along with it, and he's walking up the steps, and the, the throne is starting to turn gold. It's just all very overwhelming and all very well done, man. I'm, I was I was very proud of what uh, of what they were doing there. But man, it's lonely at the top. <laughs> Loki is now at the top. It's, he's literally lonely at the top. Um, and yeah, he's still man. He, he's, he's more still than he's ever been. He's not moving as as crazy as he once was. And, and, and that's his burden is having to be alone versus spending that time with his friends. He can watch them, but he can't talk to them at that point anymore. He can't really interact with them anymore. He has a different, uh, uh, a, a different kind of, kind of purpose now, a different thing that he has to do. One last thing I'll add, the tree of Idrisil is really fucking cool. I just love the way it looked. I loved how they made it look like a loom containing all the timelines and then flipped it on his head and was like, Oh shit. Is that the goddamn sacred tree of Idrisil that connects the, uh, again, coming out of, all this God of Warness, I was like, yeah, this shit is tight, man. Um, so yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. One of the big uh, challenges, I think, with this uh, season of television that I've noted every week has been the the techno babble, the sci-fi drivel, all of the speak that is just it's too much of it at times. And I was always hopeful that at some point, a lot of that would just kind of be thrown out of the window so we could focus on the emotional aspects of the story and the characters. Mm. And that's what this represents here to where all of that very difficult, meticulous stuff that he was spending centuries doing earlier in the episode for it to result and come to the place of, of something that is essentially so simple of him just walking out, destroying the loom and bringing everything together himself and literally replacing he who remains and becoming that that type of figure for all of time is such a simple concept that leans so much more on emotion because of everything that it signifies to the development of Loki and what he's gone through and where he's been. And firstly, when you see the costume start to emerge, I love the look of it. I think it's a great looking costume. It's also darker than anything else that he's worn previously. Like it's not this 
for lack of a better term, glorious, regal-looking costume. It doesn't mm-hmm. look triumphant, you know, like previous costumes he's wore. And I think anytime you see those horns emerge, it's been from a position of power where he arrives mm-hmm. as as the savior. You know, in Thor Ragnarok, when he comes on the ship to save the, 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 the last people of Asgard and he has mm-hmm. the costume, he pronounces himself, your savior is here. You know, but now... This is something totally different. The costume is darker. It's a very, very dark green. The horns are even dark. They're not the gold that they traditionally are. So I think it represents this more somber tone of where he's at right now. And then he's using his power to bring together all of these dying branches. So he's combining the magic of what makes him a god, the magic that he's learned all throughout his life from his mother and from just him being the god of mischief, to also the knowledge that he's accumulated from the centuries of doing this over and over again. Because I don't mm. think he could be in a place to to achieve this without knowing exactly how everything works. He had to learn everything he did from Victor Timely and OB and even Casey to a degree into which he could say like, okay, well, I could survive this. I could walk out here and do this. And I know that I'm capable of even more than everybody else here because I am a God. Mm -hmm. And to be able to combine all of that knowledge for this moment was just such a profound use of everything that they set up before this, because I think you could easily look at all of the events before the repetition, all of that stuff and say like, well, that was a waste of time because he who remains had control of everything from the get-go, and he knew that this was all going to happen. But he had to take every single step that he took to even arrive at this place. He had to go through all of those conversations, all of those repeated events, in order to know that this was was even a a possible solution. Because this wasn't even even on his brain, even on his mind, until he had the conversation with, with Sylvie beforehand. And so all of that was necessary steps to get to this particular place. And one other thing I do love about this, too, thinking a lot about the relationship between Thor and Loki. You know, I think uh, Thor Thor and his power in the MCU has been showcased quite often. We've seen how powerful he can be, which is of, of you know, very, very large degrees. I think one of the most powerful moments that we've ever gotten out of Thor was from Infinity War. Mm-hmm. When you see him essentially power power this 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 device to 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 power a neutron star to to forge stormbreaker you know he has to bring together the power of a dying neutron star to make sure that this is even possible we see him nearly kill himself in order to achieve that to then arrive in in wakanda with stormbreaker and just you know go absolutely fucking crazy and we never truly got a moment like that with loki to showcase like how powerful he really is. We've seen hints of it. Right. We've gotten moments of him being, you know, the god that he is, but this showcases how strong Loki is and how much he's capable of and it's a callback to what Richard E. Grant's version of Loki said in season 1 like you don't really know how capable or how much you are capable of. And we saw how right. powerful he was in that moment when he was able to confront Elioth and, and sacrifice himself and that that comes full circle here. Loki does all of this in in the name of saving his friends and in the name of protecting time and making sure that people have a viable future and it all results in him sitting on this throne at the top at the citadel alone and it's just so profound because earlier in the episode he said the last thing i want is a throne he said those very words to sylvie and that's exactly what he ends up with and that's what he wanted at first in the events of avengers he wanted a throne he felt like that that was owed to him and to now be in a position where he doesn't even want that but that that is where he has to be that is his purpose is kind of crazy to take yep. him on that type of journey and, and and to basically end him up in a spot in which it's the exact thing that he asked for, but it, it looks totally different than what we ever, I think, thought it could be and what it could mm-hmm. look like. And so there's so much significance. There's so much 
there's so much, you know, I think, uh, I think that, that, that represents just, you know, the type of character that he is and the, and the, and the type of journey that he's gone through. So it was a really, really powerful moment. And I think, uh, it, it definitely was, was emotional. It was high on emotion because you can just see how tragic it is, but also how, how much it does mean for, for, for everybody else involved. And so it takes us to really the concluding moments of this episode. We kind of see where everybody ends up. The TVA is sort of back up and running. OB and, and, and the rest of the crew, they've been able to, to, to reactivate Miss Minutes. No longer is she this killing, murderous, lustful bot. You know, she's now normal <laughs> again. But they do have to ask the question, like, is she going to, you know, eventually take over and kill us? That's, that's always the question with AI. Um, and we also get another moment quickly here that I just want to touch on. You know, what were your thoughts when you saw Hunter B-15 and, and Mobius interact quickly? You know, as Mobius is sort of contemplating, I think, what his future is going to be. They, they do reference other Kangs and other variants out there. And, yeah. and they reference a moment that we obviously have already lived through with Quantumania. You know, Mobius says, like, there was an event on Earth-616. You know, it was, a, it was an adjacent event, but it seems like the people already handled it so it's nothing to worry about um you know with this sort of concluding in the way that it did there there's not much i think left in the way of kane you know it's really more focused on loki's fate what did you think about you know sort of that little nod to the events in quantum mania and maybe how it ties into other events that we might potentially see because kane and his variants are still out there the council is still out there at some point and place and time so how do you feel that this you know sort of pointed to to what that might look like in future stories yeah, I think it made sense that they might want to just keep an eye <laughs> on on all things Kang from here on out. Once you figure out at least, you know, uh, uh, like a Victor Timely, right? There's probably several Victor Timely. There's probably several what other Kang variants there are out there. I'm glad they at least made a nod to say, look, Kang is here. He's not technically going anywhere. Um, if if he is, if he is, if we continue to have him as the big bad. We have kind of laid those breadcrumbs as the TVA is keeping an eye and try to watch all of those variants. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I thought it made sense. There was nothing too crazy there. But even more importantly, I love that they are trying to pay attention or keep attention on Loki here, too, at the same time. By the end of it, I wasn't like thinking about Kang almost at all, if that makes sense, though he was important or ends up being important to the story. Right. As they look at the big wall of timekeepers or whatever. Um, I, 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 all all of that was fine, but at the end of it all, I love how it was just like, let's keep this Loki. Let's let's not to it real quick, but let's keep this Loki. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I think I appreciated that decision. Yeah, it, sh- it certainly contextualizes that the series is 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 focused and concerned with Loki. You know, so even with the small reference and nod towards Kang at the end, it reminded me of early teases that we used to get out of the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. in Phase One, where they 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 weren't so. They weren't so obvious, I think, with the teases. Things were just kind of, you know, breadcrumbed throughout certain projects. Yeah. And they were cooler in hindsight because it's like, oh, they did have Captain America's shield and Iron Man 2 just like randomly yeah. sitting around. Like that was mm-hmm. a cool thing that we don't have to spend a ton of time on. And so I think that was like a good way to to sort of lean back into that idea. Like, OK, yeah, there was like this other Kang who kind of went crazy on an adjacent reality to earth 616 the sacred timeline but like that's been dealt with you know so we can kind of get back to the to the proper business um Mm -hmm. we also see a new tva guidebook a second edition um it has a few different colors it's of a different color scheme and we see ob pick that up out of a brand new box and then in the very next scene we flash back to the victor timely timeline and and we see that that event that he who remains essentially set in motion to always make sure that 
he would become he who remains has kind of mm-hmm. been prevented because they pan back behind the young Victor Timely, the child Victor Timely, and we do not see the TVA guidebook in his window seal, which we saw earlier this season when Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes went back to that moment to ensure that he always learned that knowledge about the TVA so that he would go on and create it and rule it. Um, that does not happen. So presumably we're led to believe that Victor Timely can live a, a peaceful life, live live a life as an inventor and never be confronted right. by this reality of becoming a variant of Kang. What did you think about that moment and how they sort of set that up, that there's a new TVA guidebook, they're, they're altering the course of history in a certain respect? Yeah, I, I love that uh, uh, the TVA is moving in a new direction completely, and it's no longer ruled by one person, but by a community, uh, which I think which I think is really cool, man. Everybody kind of has their hands on different things, um, um, and, and, and yeah, I, I actually love that they actually showed and went back and kind of took away the moment we seen from early in the season of Victor Timely getting that buck through that window. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. He looks back, and there's nothing there. I thought that was really cool. It felt like a... I don't know one of the movie, one of those time movies of the ending <laughs> that we've seen before. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, but yeah, I love how everything is moving forward. I think it's interesting that they did decide to do that though, because uh, knowing that all of these Kang variants will pop up, I, I, part of me likes the idea that we know no, probably none of them are going to be Victor Timely variants. If that makes sense, it's going to be some other name somewhere else. Because I remember coming into the series after learning about Victor Timely. I had a question myself as a comic book nerd of like, is there no, you know, Nathaniel Richards here? You know what I'm saying? Like what's happening or what, what's, what's going on with the, with the Richards of it all? What's going on with the, with, uh, uh, in, in that connection. And so they, there's still opportunity to make that connection if they want to, or don't have to. I'm just like, Oh, maybe they're going with Victor timely as the new Reed Richards or, uh, Nathaniel Richards. I was like, maybe they're switching that thing up, but maybe not so much now, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's, it's kind of left in the wind. And I kind of like that option to also kind of leave that in the wind of whatever Kang variants we see can be whatever Marvel chooses it to be. And I'm okay with that too. And so, um, and yeah, I, I just love that new outlook on the TVA. This is like real restructuring to me, not having a, a Victor timely not pop up, which means he who remains doesn't pop up, which means there is no more loop that we were, that we were kind of stuck in when it came to that character. And so uh, uh, I think it'll, it'll matter when we look at future pro- projects of the MCU, when we're seeing a new iteration of the TVA and what that looks like, I think we'll get like, oh, the TVA wouldn't have done that in the past because it's a brand new TVA. So it just felt like refreshing to see uh, uh, that the TVA and all of the, the people, the OBs, the KCs, the, 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 the B-15s, that they've come to a new way of doing things and that the TVA is, is, is just a brand new organization now. Seeing Victor Timely, the young boy, um, not not get a hold of the TVA guidebook, it's almost a reversal of meaning of what Miss Minutes told the older Victor Timely in, in a couple of episodes ago where she said, you will never be him. Well, that that takes on new meaning in and of itself, because now he truly never will be him. But it's not a pejorative like it's not a terrible thing that he won't be Mm -hmm. him, because what we saw in the series is that Victor Timely isn't a bad guy. He's actually like a good guy. He was on the side trying to save the TVA. Mm -hmm. He was using his knowledge and his presence and his aura to try to make sure that things were okay. And, and, And by the way, you know, I do have to say, like. Everything we saw of Jonathan Majors in this episode was fantastic. It was really, really good. Like from the He Who Remains stuff, Mm -hmm. again, showing that sinister side of what a Kang variant can be, a real cerebral element to who he is, to the Victor Timely, you know, sort of unassuming scientist who's trying to use his knowledge for good. And 
you know, even earlier in the episode, like those moments of celebration, he's like, we did it. Like, oh my God, he was genuinely happy. He just like raised his hands and like didn't pumpkins? say anything. It was pumpkins. Like, what what was that? Like, Whatever it, that means. <laughs> came out of nowhere. <laughs> but it's like, I think it's good because it's like this guy's awkward. He's quirky, but mm-hmm. he is like innocent to a certain degree. Like he's not this bad guy. So this version of that Kang variant can still grow up to be that. He can grow up and, and, and I guess not be corrupted by these other variants. And I think mm-hmm. that Victor Timely is now removed from the equation of being a Kang variant. That's just one less variant that that, that, that will ever exist. And I think that that's a good thing because we can see what can what can be good that can come from that. So I, I like that, you know, he doesn't get a hold of the time of, of the guidebook. Um, the other like big moment before we get to, to Moby is 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 Ravona Renslayer. We haven't seen her in a couple of episodes. She got pruned in episode four. We didn't see her at all in last week's episode. But we see she ends up at the at the at the at the end of time you know essentially like everybody does that 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 gets pruned and she looks really sad look really she looks really despondent in her situation um Mm -hmm. it's kind of ironic that she ended up in a place where she sent so many people across her life she ended up in that very spot and um they they kind of signal to us that she's confronted by Eliath, you know who who's that big that big monstrous figure you know at the end of time that, that, that essentially consumes people uh what did you think about that moment that we just got you know one more quick sequence with ravona to see like what her fate ultimately was but then also the choice to to kind of cut away from it before we actually see what happens before i think inevitably she either confronts Eliath herself or she tries to run and escape escape his grasp yeah, it's just one of those things, those one of those measures for Marvel to like put a character in limbo <laughs> to use them at some point if they want to or not use them um, if they don't want to. Because if you don't see Renslayer after this, I think you understand where she is and where her story, you know, kind of ends um, at that point. If you do see her, she got away from alive. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like, oh, she got away and she figured it out. So I don't really mind, um, um, you know, the decision for them to, to, to do that or keep their hair. I will say she. She definitely is a victim of what goes around comes around though, because that her putting her in front of Elias, I, I like that idea. <laughs> I like that because she, this woman, man, she purging kids. She was trying to kill whatever. I mean, she, this woman had a lot going on. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I I let the decision for Marvel to do that. Um, I am interested to see if they do use her how they do. She is still, at least comic book wise, still important to the Kang character. You know what I'm saying? Like she still is kind of the love interest of Kang. So I wouldn't be surprised if we seen her again. But again, if we don't, I guess, you know, she lives at the end of time, which is her version of hell, <laughs> you know, and, and somewhat. So I think it all makes sense. And it all came uh, uh, full circle for her. No complaints there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they at least, you know, call back and show at this moment. We kind of needed to see this, you know, to see like what her fate ultimately was. But it is um, it is ironic and it is appropriate for her, you know, to, to, to be in this place where she's she's just sent so many individuals, probably countless individuals, you know, across their time. And, 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 and now she has to deal with this herself. And so, uh, yeah, whether or not we see her again, I'm not even I'm not even concerned with like mm. I, I, I'm, I'm of both minds. Like if she comes back, cool. I'm sure that they'll have a good purpose for her. But if not, then her story is also pretty complete. That 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 is its own version of an arc. It's not like a great ending for her, but that is an arc, you know, to to a certain extent that mm-hmm. she now has to deal with this and, 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 and be in this place and in which she sent so many people. And so, you know, that's a reality for her. Um, Mobius has a, 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 another, you know, sort of very, very revealing moment where he, he makes a choice to, to leave the TVA and to go see what his life looks like in the real, in the real world. Essentially, he's finally, you know, sort of 
ready to confront what that is. And so him and Hunter B-15 have a, have a really tender moment with each other. You know, he's like, who, who's going to mission an old washed up analyst? And she reassures him like, you know, I'm sure one or two people will. Um, and we do see the TVA sort of in a better place. People are back. The judges, you know, sort of in power. There's a whole war room of people involved in it. I like what you said earlier about a community. There's a lot of people making decisions. It's not just ruled by one person. Um, but Mobius makes a choice to leave and to just go see, you know, what his life looks like. And we see, what we saw last week, we see the other Mobius in this timeline with his his two young boys. He's he's having, you know, playtime with them out in the front yard and, you know, sort of interacting with them. And the Mobius from the TVA is just standing by watching and, and, and Sylvie arrives and just, you know, has one more final moment with him. And they talk about low key and say that it's strange that he's not there. And Mobius just he leaves it off and, and says, you know, I'm just going to stay here for a while and let time pass and, and you know, just sort of absorb this and, and live in this moment so how did you feel about where they where they ultimately took mobius that he was kind of ready to see what his life looked like outside of the tva and to, to sort of confront that that it's probably a better life it's probably a more fruitful life mm. um but also the fact that you know he can he can't really interact with that version of himself because it is still like a different version like he can't go just play with the kids he he just has to be a bystander you know and sort of just witness like what exists for him outside of outside of the work that he does with the tva you know, it's funny because I, I think even in this moment, knowing the, the, the quote he says to Loki after Loki goes back in time to that kind of first episode moment where he does say the most purpose is, is more burden than glory, kind of comes back here almost full circle for Mobius too, right? Where maybe potentially his purpose is at the TVA and not necessarily on the timeline with his boys, right? And I think that is even potentially the burden for him. It's knowing that, uh, uh, sure, he loves his life and he sees his life with his boys and jet skis and all of that, but maybe that's his burden is he can't live that life. He is now TVA Mobius, um, um, and, and, and I think that's interesting. But I also love how the, the he had to go see, after Loki makes that sacrifice, right? After Loki does pick up the burden to become the tree of Idrisil and all of these things, he says to him, he says to, to, to B-15, he said, I have to go see the thing that we've been protecting this entire time. I absolutely love that quote um, because Mobius has had his mind wiped like everybody else. He has been one of the people that has been afraid to go see what their life was like on the timeline. And he finally gets to a moment and it finally takes Loki to make that sacrifice for him to be like, yeah, I kind of need to go look. I kind of need to go see what I've been, what, 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 yeah, what we've been doing all of this for, because that's also important as well. Um, and, and for him, you know, Sylvie asking what's he's going to do here for him to say, man, I'm just going to wait here for a little bit and let time pass. I love that uh, because the, he has lived outside of time for so long. <laughs> like they all really have. Right. But none of them have gotten to see uh, the 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 natural things that happen over time in life he he's he probably is sitting there i don't know how long he's gonna sit there right but he's, he's he's sitting there he's probably watching his boys potentially grow up he's probably watching a day go from sunlight to sundown that's not things that they watch every day watching time pass watching grass grow and plants grow watching things progress um is now kind of the gift that loki has given uh, uh, really everybody at this point Loki has kind of given them this gift of being able to watch things and to let time pass and so I love how he's he, he goes back and he just gets to kind of kind of ruminate in that kind of sit in um in, in in all of that time man so man what a what a I think a complete arc for Mobius 
as well somebody who was purposely ignorant to all of it he wanted to be ignorant to a lot of things he wanted to live in the ignorance is bliss kind of realm right but again it came full circle and now he knows maybe he needs to know because that's his burden yeah that's uh that's the scar tissue right that he can mm-hmm. that he can choose to live with and he's built for it too which i think is also important that lobius has been through some of these more tragic elements before and he's learned how to live with it and and how to you know just sort of have it naturally adjust to the life that he's chosen to live. And, and, and I do think that that's, that's really is, you know, kind of where he's going to end up that he, he will eventually go back to the TVA, which is why mm-hmm. it was important for B 15 to tell him that, you know, you'll always have a place here. You'll always have a seat in the room because I think that that is, that is truly his calling at this particular point, because this yeah. other version of himself with his young boys, that's, that's not something that's feasible for him at this, at this particular time, but it's beautiful and nice that he can, be in the place now to where he can deal with it and see it and, and, and actually absorb it. You know, before he was afraid, he didn't want to see how great it would possibly be. He was scared of that. That was, that was very much a fear of his, but now he's moved beyond that to reach a place where it's like, I can still see this and I can see what we protect. And I can also simultaneously still be able to do my job. And, and and both of those things can exist and be true. And -hmm. I think that that's a huge element of growth for him. And, and, and that really brings his character to a place that, he was not even earlier in the season. He was not there. You know, he had to work to get there and ultimately see like everything that was lost and everything that was potentially going to be lost ultimately to see like there's actual gains here. And, and it's beautiful for me to see this and to have the ability to go see this. Like I, mm. I can even I can even like make the choice to go see this. That 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 in and of itself is a privilege because other people True. can't do that, you know. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's a really good way to just reinforce that whole idea of free will you know sylvie talked a lot about it like we should give people the choice like they should be able to to make their own choice as to what they want to do whether or not it be to stay here at the tva and work for this organization or go back to their own timelines or at least to see that stuff like mobius is the walking embodiment of that and i think that that's a really really cool thing um and and so we get the final shot of this episode which is again low-key sitting at the end of time holding all of the branches together, really existing as the God of stories, the God of time, he who remains, whatever it is. I mean, we, we, we called all of that stuff last week. I said that he was going to essentially become he who remains. And that's, you know, it's, it's like a version of what he is now, essentially, because he is at the throne at the end of time. And we get this look on his face where, you know, tears are shed. He looks, I think, resolved in his decision, not necessarily happy because he can't mm-hmm. be with his friends anymore, but definitely there's, there's resolve there. There, there's a, right. a sense of peace there. And um, th- th- this ends off, you know, really the-, the show for us. And unlike season one, we do not get a tag or we do not get an indication that there's going to be a season two. And it-, and it feels like that this is a pretty definitive ending for not only this show, but maybe even for the character of Loki. And um, the-, the head writer, Eric Martin, he had an interview with Cinema Blend and-, and they asked him about a potential season three. And he said this, quote, we approached this as like two halves of a book. Season one, first half. Season two, we closed the book on Loki and the TVA. Where it goes beyond that, I don't know. I just wanted to tell a full and complete story across these two seasons, end quote. Mm. So from those statements, you know, Eric Martin, he does not have any other plans for Loki in this particular form and fashion. What do you think about, you know, sort of those final moments that Loki is sitting still? He's not dead. He's just in a place in which he is doing something that requires him to always be there and always be present. So he can't really leave at this point in time. He's kind of right. like Atlas holding up the world on exactly. his shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the future of Loki? What that might mean for him as to whether or not we see him again? Does he pop up in, in a future Avengers movie? Or or does this really close the book on the character in Loki and, and serve as you know, sort of the final chapter for what we see out of the character? 
I think it'll be really interesting. Um, I, I will say there, there's there's something here now that Loki has now become a part of of history, right? Um, of real, actual, tangible. Again, you can't. I mean, maybe tangible ain't the word because a lot of people can't see or touch it. But he has become a part of some sort of history, and and he is, uh, or at least once was, a Norse god. And I think there is mythology that has always been carried uh, uh, through at least that that idea in that realm of Norse mythology. Everybody knows Thor to be the god of thunder. Everybody knows Odin to be uh, uh, the, the one above all. You know what I mean? Everybody knows their respective gods for the things that they've done. And I think it's it, there, there, there should be a moment for Loki's mythology to change. He's no longer the god of mischief. He is whatever that you want him to be. He is the, the the god of time, the god of mischief, the keeper of Idrisil. I don't know what you call it, but his story has now changed. And I think somewhere, somehow, that, that story has to get through to people in order to change his mythology. In my mind, Thor has to eventually know his brother, some version of his brother, is literally holding timelines together. I think that's important, you know what I'm saying, for him to know at some point. Um, and, and I hope they, they, they decide to do that. But I think... I think at least right now, that's the extent of it. I think he will be that, a myth. Um, he will be something kind of in the wind that people know what he what he's doing and what he has going on because it's not like everyday people like you and me. It's not like the Avengers beyond like Thor just like looking at gods every day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And seeing what gods have going on in their lives. And Loki is doing this thing and sitting on his throne alone in the vast wasteland of timelines. I can't imagine us seeing him anytime soon. So if if we don't see him, I won't be surprised. He is com- he has completed his purpose. He has done what he needed to do. He is sitting on the throne that he didn't even want anymore, which is very noble. That's actually how a lot of kings are chosen. If when they don't want the throne, they usually end up with it the most. Um, but I I think I I think they'll leave him there for a while and leave him as a talking point. And some other things, though, I think something will happen. Mobius will meet somebody and be like, oh, yeah, well, Loki is holding our timelines together right now somewhere. And everybody going to be like, what you just say to me? The Loki that we know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what's going to end up happening. And that's where kind of Loki will pop up. But other than that, I really doubt we'll at least not yet. uh, We'll have to see how it plays out. But I, I doubt we'll see him in the flesh for a while. Yeah. Any anything is certainly possible. But if this was truly the last time we see Tom Hiddleston as Loki, I would be 100% okay with it because it is just such a definitive and satisfying conclusion mm-hmm. to what the character represents into his journey that he's been on throughout the course of 10 movies, two seasons of television. Like it, it doesn't really get any better than this besides another type of sacrifice and killing yourself, which is what Tony Stark already did, but this is a different type of sacrifice. So it's, 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 it's a slippery slope to want to re-engage with Loki as a character in the future just because it has to be meaningful. It has to be for a real purpose. Again, that's that's going to be the word of the of the season of, of, of the MCU at this point moving forward. But you have to make sure that it's going to be really, really impactful. You know, yeah. otherwise, like I don't I don't want it, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that. They can always craft something that is meaningful, and and, and, and and I don't think, you know, he's going to be on the battlefield alongside the Avengers fighting Kang. That what he's doing right now is 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 kind of of a greater purpose than that. Like, it's more Absolutely. important than just, like, being on the battlefield. Like, he's, he's ensuring that that can even happen to begin with, you know, by holding these timelines together. And so I think that, uh, that that's a really important place. 
even more so knowing that this was the last place he wanted to be. Like, that makes it even all the more impactful. But, um, you know, if they do bring him back in a small capacity as someone with information, as someone who can benefit others with knowledge or or, 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 or just the, 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 the presence of Kang and what he represents and what he means in the TVA, like, the TVA has to come back around, you know, in some form or fashion in the future. So I think that there's, there's potential there. But uh, this is truly... This is truly a great way to end a character and to just like sign off and allow that to be the end of that story. And and, and I think, you know, in, in the best way possible under the circumstances right off in the sunset, because uh, this this was beautiful. You know, so I, I, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want them to ruin that um, as we wrap up here. Got to get your overall thoughts about, of course, season two. But now knowing that this is kind of a two season story. Yeah. 12 episodes uh, of the low-key story that they told over the course of these past two years. What are your overall thoughts about, you know, the place of, of where Loki has gone as a character? But I think on an even bigger level, as it relates to a lot of what we've talked about, what's possible for Marvel in the, in the realm of television? Because they, they just proved that they can do this. Mm-hmm. They can do it if they have the right amount of drama, the right amount of stakes, the right characters, and the right yeah. creatives and filmmakers there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of crit- criticism towards their other television shows and just the mm-hmm. the lack of of clarity and, and vision that it that, that it seems on the surface. But uh, they they're proving it here with Loki that this is something that they could excel at. So, what are your overall thoughts about you know what Loki sort of contributed to the to the recent phases of of MCU storytelling and how they can hopefully use this moving forward for 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 more stories that they decide to tell. This this TV show I think uh, officially set a new precedent for what is definitely and absolutely possible, uh, not even only within the MCU television shows, but what's possible in, 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 some of these, in some of these projects and movies. This TV show looks better than a lot of MCU projects. <laughs> not only that, but the, the gravitas, the weight of how this project feels is also different, right? There, we, we, we've talked about how we've had concerns about whether tv shows felt important enough to watch right how they felt are they connected to the mcu at all do you even have to watch any tv shows this felt like a real true testament to not only does this matter because you care about loki right as a character and you've seen him you want to see all the things and character development that loki goes through but this man holding on to these timelines in a tree at the end of time is like in my mind, that's required viewing. Like, you need to watch this TV show. <laughs> like, hell yeah, you need to watch Loki season two. Um, and and again, it's not only because of that, but because it's good. And I think and I think that's in that's 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 absolutely important, man. I'm looking forward to what they could the MCU could potentially do. I just hope they can they can understand what made Loki work. They can understand that they this they knew the ending before they knew the beginning. So a lot of times, that's why I think Infinity War works so well. It's because a little shortly after Iron Man, right, after they figure out all of this thing works, after they figure out the, the machine that works, they were like, okay, I knew I knew they knew the ending. Like, they knew that they wanted to get to Thanos at some point. They knew kind of somewhat how, how they wanted to get to Endgame, and Loki kind of feels like that. Loki, two-chapter series, they knew exactly how they wanted Loki to end, and so you're able to take the meat and potatoes and make it look good. You're able... To, to, to refine and do things that you might not be able to do versus putting out projects and leaving things open-ended that you have no idea where it's going to go. Sometimes that's okay, right? If 
if you don't tell us or you don't, you know, force it to make it seem like it should fit in something eventually. But here with Loki, man, they just know and they figured out how to do it the right way. So I think I, 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 I again, you said it. We know what's possible. Loki shows us it's possible. But it's really it's really, you know, uh, part of me thinks it's the uh, it's the money of it all. If they're not rushing to make Disney Plus shows for the sake of views, if they're not, of course, we want it. Of course, we want these TV shows to get views. Of course, we want everyone to watch it. Of course, we want things to be successful, but they have to be done in the spirit of telling a good story still. And Loki did just that. They knew they wanted to tell a good story, and that's what we got. And so I'm hoping that's what they do um, um, from here on out. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I, think, I think hopefully they learned a lesson here. <laughs> Again, with Marvel, all you can do is really take it with a grain of salt and be like, "Whoop, they got a they got a one off. <laughs> they did a good job." But it's really about the consistency that makes all of this difficult. And so I'm really betting on that consistency. I'm hoping they understand what makes this so good. I'm hoping they understand uh, uh, whatever it took for the visual effects to look like in this show. Do it. This, I mean, like you said, a lot of there is a lot of good practical here when creating the TVA. There's a, also a lot of good visual with. This man carrying timeline branches <laughs> throughout time and space and creating a tree out of it is another different ball game. So there's a lot of different factors in play. But I think Loki, again, can now serve as a new blueprint from TV shows going forward because it is, again, I, I, I think it's not even close anymore. It's the best MCU show we've gotten. And so I, I, hopefully they follow their own footsteps and they're listening um, um, to 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 what's happening in in in, in real time in, in TV shows like Loki, man. I think I think they have it. They just got to figure it out now. This reminds me of the, the 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 information that we learned earlier this season when it first launched that this show had no reshoots. It had no pickups. They filmed exactly what they intended to film, and that was the story. Mm-hmm. Which uh, when you have proper planning. And you have the right amount of resources and, and the right amount of focus and attention towards a project like you can nail it if you really have that desire. And, 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 and I think the the ambition to go that far with it, we, we know a lot of these projects, pretty much all of them have to go back and do things over and pick up additional things to try to get it in a better place to improve upon the story or the visual effects or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But for the creators behind this to just know from the get go exactly what they intended to do and then to deliver upon it because now we've seen the result and it delivers it's crazy that they nailed it in such a way that they did and and it just reinforces again that this is by far and away the best mcu television show that we've gotten and it should serve as that blueprint for what they could achieve in the future not only by the fact of the story that they told and the fact that you have some really impressive creators behind it and there's great visual effects and great cinematography and a magnificent score, but also just due to the fact that this is a show that really does stand on its own and it exists on its own and can be great while also still tying into the larger MCU that they're that they're you know moving forward with and i think that any great MCU project can can simultaneously achieve both you know it can advance the story of whatever the character is that we're focusing on while still leaving just a little bit for us to hold on to to think about what comes next because everything 
in terms of their formula that they de that they developed is is a sequel essentially. You know, there will be a sequel to to all things that come in the MCU, but um, this this story really does open a book and close a book on this character, and Loki has become definitively one of the best characters that they've ever crafted in the MCU. You know, I put him right alongside Iron Man and Captain America mm -hmm. and Thor and Scarlet Witch. Like he is up there for just one of those one of those characters that they have figured out from the get-go and it's never really faltered at any particular mm -hmm. point and they've 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 figured it out in multiple mediums which is also a testament to how great Loki has been to the MCU and to the story and also how great Tom Hiddleston has been in this role over the course of 10 years 12 years now really uh, it's really really a phenomenal feat I'm just so happy that we got it I'm so happy that there is a proof of concept out there that can say like an MCU television show can be great and it can be something that we all sort of gravitate towards and, and, and enjoy and talk about in, in, in a light ma manner in which we, mm -hmm. we have fun with it and we, we, we talk about how much we love it. Um, that is refreshing, especially just in the general discourse about everything that comes out of the MCU right now. But folks, those are all of our thoughts about Loki and all of Loki season two and season one, really the entire show at this point, because it does seem like the end. But those are all of our thoughts about the finale. If you've checked out the latest, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And also go check out another conversation that we just had with the Galactic Core podcast. We also talked about Loki on that podcast. So if you want to hear more of our thoughts about the season finale, go check that out. That'll be out next week as well but with all of that out the way that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you all again for tuning into another podcast we'll actually be back early next week because we have to review the other latest mcu project the brand new film the marvels which has released in theaters we got a chance to check it out so we will be back at the top of next week to talk about that film in full spoilery detail so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty talk about our reactions our thoughts about the film and also what it might mean for the future of the mcu because there's definitely some breadcrumbs in that film so plenty to look forward to but until then we will see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 Please check out our Two Black Jedi and Two Black Sith collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. For all time. Always. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black. Too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. <laughs>